Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And mine is Jessica Tercero. <laughs> Woo, here we are, back again. Yeah, and this time we didn't watch a movie. Mm-mm-mm. Well, we actually we did. Like, the last one is technically a movie. Yes. But uh, we thought that we would change it up and try a television show, see how that works. Yeah. That's fun. That was about 84 hours of watching. It was a lot <laughs> of watching, without a doubt. Yeah. So we took a look at a Nicktoon fave from the 90s, Rocco's Modern Life, is what we're doing this week. Yeah. We... When we first started like talking about doing this podcast, I was like, oh, we should do this. We should totally do this because I had just seen the new episode recently Like when, oh, we, yeah. when we first started talking about it. And I was like, oh, my God, we have to do this. This is so good. This is so good. Yeah. And I'm glad that we did. I have we did, too, because I honestly, this show was really big for me in my formative years, even if a lot of its content I wasn't necessarily digesting. Uh, just the show itself, like the visuals, the characters, the voices, all of that. It was one of those shows that was like the important for me as a kid. So it's really, it was really fun to come back and watch, like watch like I used to. I would just like, if there was a marathon on, yeah, hell yeah, I'm watching <laughs> five hours of Rocco's Modern Life today. <laughs> oh, for sure. And there was like, I did the exact same thing because this is my favorite Nicktoon yeah. from that whole era. And like, I remember certain things so vividly about this show and like I didn't realize until we were going back and watching it how much of my adult life and my fears and all this stuff were like based around things that I had seen in Rocco oh without which, a doubt like I mean a lot of it is like so true right mm-hmm. so true and there, there's even some moments too like you're saying like little audio bits that I get stuck in my head that I've had stuck in my head since I was a kid or little ways or turns of phrase or um, cadences within characters that I would watch it and be like, I remember him saying that. And that's why I know, or that's why I have an inflection on this word or this. It's because Heifer would say this or said this at this one time. Like, I forget what it was specifically, but he was like, I think he was going to the dump or something on the recycling musical episode. Oh, yeah. And the I forget exactly what it was. See, now I can't remember. Look at me. <laughs> and the, um, no, but the way he said something, he was like getting in the car. And it's like, whenever I do that thing, mm-hmm. I'd say it that exact same way. And I'm like, oh. Do you? Yeah. Oh, that's I was like, oh, that's me as a kid totally just taking that in and being like, I like this. I'm going to say this and use this in my life. For me, it was more like, I'm terrified of credit cards. Oh, my uh, God. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was one moment we'll (laughs) talk about. Online (laughs) shopping. There's one moment on, um, we'll talk about in the the show that like I hit with me so hard on such a real level uh, with Heifer, we'll talk about it then, but like, ugh, I was just like, yep, that's me. That's 100% me. That's yeah. my life. I was like, there was an episode where it was like, Heifer, like, moved out or something. I was like, that was me in my 20s. Yep, that's, <laughs> that, that's the exact episode that I'm talking about. <laughs> oh my God, okay. Yeah. When his mom's calling him yeah, on the yeah. phone. And, and he's just, just like, he's so like, tired because he's mom, been Mom, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm fine. But then it's like him in these hellish jobs, like literally in hell, tired as fuck, just like, no, I'm great. Don't worry about me. I'm doing great, mom. I'm like, oh. This show is very real, and I'm so excited. Yeah. And I, I especially wanted to talk about this because I feel like this is an example of 
a nostalgic property and being brought back and actually centering on the story. We'll get into it, but I'm so excited to yeah. dive into something that was done so well. Me so. too. Just like that car horn. All Ooh, right. Nice Ooh, job. That Thank was you. good. That was fast. They got there fast. <laughs> Um, all right, shall we get into it? Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. In the bustling modern world of 1995, an Australian immigrant named Rocco tries to find his footing in an ever-changing landscape of financial hardship, corporate America, complicated social behaviors, and horrible neighbors. With the help of his friends Filbert, a compulsive, nervous turtle, Heifer, a kind, under-motivated steer who was raised by wolves, and his overactive dog, Spunky, Rocco manages to maintain his sanity, mostly, and boy, was, was that, that a, a hoot! hoot. <laughs> that was cute. I like that a lot. Oh my gosh. Um, oh man. Okay. So up top, we do want to acknowledge one thing specifically with a specific character. So... um at the time of the show itself, within the 90s, the character, Rachel, well, what was Rachel's dead name? Uh, Ralph. Ralph. So um, in the movie, uh, it comes to light that Ralph is trans, and so her name is Rachel. So when we're referring to that character, we're going to call her Rachel even in the previous episodes where she went by Ralph. As yes. opposed to, yeah. So we're not going to be using her dead name in any capacity uh, within the podcast. Cool. Okay. Dope. So. So yeah. So it's a, this is totally a change of format, right? So we're not looking at a, a previously done movie versus that we're looking at an entire show. So we looked at, what was it, like 13, 14-ish episodes? Yeah, it was a lot. Um, it was we, a lot. So we looked at some key episodes, which we'll link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So that way you can see which ones we're taking our analysis from. But it was... A lot to watch. I know. And we only did, I think we only did like less than half. So we tried yeah. to um, organize them by like character arcs and by uh, recurring themes. So one of them is the big heads and their child and mm-hmm. that relationship. Another one is Heifer and his narrative with his family. And then just Rocco and kind of the world that it's setting up because Rocco, he's got so many problems and he yeah. just like everything bad that can happen to somebody always happens to him yeah. like you'd said he's a victim of circumstance yeah very and much so in every sense of the word right <laughs> poor guy yeah so yeah we tried to uh dive into some of those so um if you're interested check out the show notes and see which ones we watched yeah okay perfect cool so first i want to like the the characters that we mainly focused on uh first like you know the first set of episodes is for rocco right yeah from that i got that he was rocco is like a simple young responsible dude that can't afford to live in this boomer world yeah but he still makes the best of it yeah he is the most optimistic character in the most dire times the most dire situations he's so He's so willing to say or spin the worst possible scenario into a, well, it could be worse. At least I have you, Spunky. At least at least we're not dead. At least this. At least that. You know, he's very, he is a beacon of hope. Yeah, he really is. And it's really interesting that he's paired with Heifer yeah. most of the time because Heifer is just a privileged boy that doesn't know how good he has it. He doesn't have to pay bills. He doesn't have to, like, make his own food or get up off the couch mm-hmm. 90% of the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, to me, it's funny that Rocco always takes advice from him 
And then he's like, what should I do? And he's like, oh, you should do this. And so he like gets a credit card, for instance, right? And then he racks up hella debt. And then, you know, Rocco being Rocco, when everything gets repoed, right? (laughs) Fucking heifer who told him to get the credit card in the first place is like, oh, no, that's stupid. Why would you do that? I sold a kidney. Or Or you sold the second stomach. stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I was like... Oh my God. Like, why would you give your friend this advice? And then just like, he's just so oblivious because he, he has problems. He has issues, right? But he doesn't have any real world money or like rent or anything like that. He just lives in his bubble. Yeah. None of that is physical or tangible to him. Those are just ideas that don't matter. So it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Just go, just go and do it. It's like, well, it's not that simple. It is that simple. You can just do it. It's like, okay, but. He's they so impulsive in, because yeah. he doesn't have, um, in most of the show, there is no uh, repercussions for anything that he does, yeah. right? Like, mom is always like, oh, it's okay, sweetie, come here, I'll take care of you. Even, like, when he's, like, clearly not wanted somewhere or something, like, it's it always turns out in the end or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think the only time that Heifer really grows, and it was such a small thing, right? Um, in the episode where he moves out, let's yeah, talk about we're that. Right. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The episode starts with him, like, sitting there watching TV. His mom brings him popcorn. He's, like, he's having, like, this existential crisis because he can't reach the remote control. And mom comes to get it. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then, like, throughout this whole thing, like, his main growth is that he gets up. Like, it's like, I can do things for myself every once in a while. And he, like, you know, he has that same scenario. But instead of calling for mom to get it, he, he gets her remote himself. He stands up and, like, yeah. it's like, you want a cookie for that? Which, like, yes. To, uh, be, to be, yeah. I I want to s- give a shout out um, <laughs> in the episode only because comedically that first scene was so so funny like just the the angles and the shots of like him and then it's like him reaching over and looking and like the remote it's visualizing him literally on a boat in the middle of the ocean and the remote <laughs> is like far off and he he's like this is impossible i can't get that but it's like so close to him just the um hyper realistic or the uh aggrandizing of such a small small thing in his mind of being such a huge travesty is so funny and so telling of the character himself for somebody who has no problems it's like this is such an issue and then i do like though that as friends they all still hold some sort of a kindness and accountability Mm -hmm. within each other so even in this episode where um they're all going to the what is it the muddy the muddy farm or something. He puts on his the like mud farm the mud or... farm. He puts on his like little bunny hoodie, and That's they so get cute. in the car and they make fun. Um, Filbert and Rocco are in the car and they make fun of him, and they're like, Filbert's just like Mama's boy and won't stop saying Mama's boy, and then Rocco's even like, okay, like he got the point. That's enough. Like, because yeah. Rocco was even ribbing him a little bit and just being like, uh, mama's boy, look at that hoodie. But then Philbert takes it too far and Rocco's like, hey, that's, he gets well, the but point. but he's like still like giggling under his breath and he's like, oh, you know, stop it. He gets, yeah. <laughs> but, know, he's, but, but he's trying to like. But in a way that's kind. But he knows it's funny. Yeah, yeah. So they're not, they're more commenting on the situation in terms of like, you should, Heifer, you should acknowledge this also, but we're your friend, so we're not going to bully you into something that you're not comfortable with. You know what I mean? And that, like, these small moments, I even looking back on it, I'm like, it's really interesting that, like, people who care about their characters can write in these small moments of kindness. Mm-hmm. But it just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of an effort to, like, 
write that in because Rocco is the most empathetic character. He is so willing to see the other side and to see the goodness in something, even if it's blatantly disrespectful or wrong or bad. He's so willing to just be like, well, let's see about that. Like, yes, it's wrong, 100%, but why? Why are you doing that? Well, and they're also really, like you said, they're really good at calling each other out. Like, I'm thinking specifically of when uh, Heifer was a cop, was a security guard, right? And, like... (laughs) I mean, we'll get into that because there's a whole there's segment so that we need about to talk about with, with that. that but like with that, right? You know, like because Heifer's over there and he's like, "You're jaywalking, going to give you a ticket." And he's like, "I came over here to say hi to you." And he's like, "Nope, you're getting a ticket." And he's like, "Who are you? And what have you done with Heifer?" And yeah. Heifer, oh my god, his response there was like something like, "It, you're lucky that they don't allow hanging for jaywalking oh. anymore, oh, 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 or something oh, like oh, that." Oh. Yeah. That was fucked. That was weird. And it was such a throwaway comment, too. Because, I mean, yeah. like... Yeah. Th- it I mean, really was. What a really wild way to... F- like, you're lucky we don't allow hanging anymore. It's like... For jaywalking. Excuse you, Heifer? Also, excuse this episode. What is... Like, yes, you're trying to do, like, this whole drastic thing. But at the same time, that is... That that's commenting on a whole nother subset of aggressive behavior from authority and aggressive behavior like in that way and it's like ties to direct racism and racial tension and just just the discussion of like noose or lynch or hang like any of that very odd that that was the choice for this as a throwaway they could have used anything they could have used anything and they chose that and i was like are they trying to amplify the severity of this character where they're trying to be like Oh no, Heifer sucks right now because he has that uniform. Because even Rocco, who is the most understanding, is like, "What?" I think like, a thousand percent they were not on board with Heifer doing this and with this being a whole thing. So yeah. I feel like everything, like I mean, even when this, like the seven utters of justice come through. God, uh, <laughs> let me let me get my notes on this because I have. Okay, yeah, it is uphold the uniform and destroy those who break the law to swift justice without mercy. And then he's like. I'm like a robo-fraud. I swear to bring justice to all those who are asking for it, to appease the seven utters of justice and my own craving for power and authority. And authority. Yeah. Yeah. So to appease his own craving for power that and authority. That is a security guard found. Not oh, a cop. Also, I know. Not a cop. It he's, is a fucking security guard. Let's, he's just a security guard. Yeah. So let's let's pick that apart a minute because that literally says destroy those who break the law. Yeah. Swift justice without mercy as a fucking security guard. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? But I do, I like, I like it because the show is so in on itself, right? So they're writing this character who is lovable and kind, Heifer, who is kind of a lovable oaf who doesn't really know. But in this moment when he sees something like this and the power of that, they're talking about how toxic that shit is. How toxic. Something like, do you see this badge? It says I can do anything I want and you have to say yes to me no matter what. Like, even the way they phrase some of that stuff and possibly even the use of that term, hanging, right? Like, it's implying this really disgusting growth of this this sludge of toxicity that is the confidence that a lot of people who become cops or security guards gain in that position of power where they feel like they can do essentially anything and get away with it. And oftentimes they can. Yeah, and I think that's why the the word choice in this was so um, explicit. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, with the use of the word hanging, with the, you know, like, they don't give him any room. 
Like they don't give this version of Heifer and the how the power or even the thought of power because that's like he starts to get that arrogance before he officially puts on the uniform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like so, it doesn't give him any room. There's no redeeming qualities. No. Not at all. And I loved that. I loved that, especially when you're making this quote unquote villain within this story, even to his friends, even to his close, the closest people in his life. He is a stranger, a complete and yeah. utter. Pardon my pun, an utter <laughs> opposite <laughs> of, the, of the character a that we know, slow. right? But I also liked how they tied in all of this reference and uh, reverence to The Shining um, mm-hmm. in the same episode in talks of insanity in a way that's like this power is making him, is turning him into something or making his mind a much more confusing place, right? Yeah. So, like, he's seeing these things that aren't really there. It's like, and obviously he's on the tricycle. He's in it even when um, Mr. Bighead's there. It's like, do you work here? It's like, of course I work here. Are you kidding me? And he's like, well, what's in the box? He's like, well, it was two light bulbs. It's like, were those company property? He's like, yeah. And then that's why he's like, we found a thief. He's stealing two light bulbs. Yeah. And they're like, they're going to promote me to chief no, or they're going to promote me to whatever, no matter what. And, like, literally and throws him out of the building. Thing. The smallest offense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... I did like this character because of the commentary on toxic authority and um, police and police state shit. And I also liked that at the end, he owns up to what he did. And he's not like, oh, well, the seven udders of justice visited me. And then I was like, he doesn't give himself any excuses. And he's just like, I'm sorry, that power and that, that authority went to my head. And that was me, not that was somebody else. And that, for me, like, if they had handled it any other way, it would have been like, well, this is trash. But, like, because they made Heifer trash when he was, like, a security guard Mm -hmm. and then made him own up to it 1,000%, I think that that was the best way to handle this. This this show was anti-cop before that was even, like, a big well, mainstream thing. I mean, awesome. although in the 90s, that's when a lot of that uh, visual media with, like, the Rodney King stuff. Like, oh, yeah, So that yeah, was yeah. when it was Fucking, yeah. first becoming more of, like, a visual, like, oh, this happens all the time. But, like, we but wouldn't we're see nobody's, that. Nobody else is seeing, yeah. We wouldn't see that on, on TV in that way, right? Like, it, there's, um because this was, like, the golden age of, like, Nicktoons and that sort of animation and stuff like that, right? You can get away with anything in children's uh, animation. And so this and, like, Brennan and Stimpy and all that were, like, huge, like, uh, also, God. Um, Whoa. <laughs> lots to talk about show. there, too. But, uh, and the creator, too. Uh-huh. Anyways, sorry, got sidetracked. But, like, um, but this is the golden age of animation where it didn't yeah. matter that there was, like, these sexual innuendos, you know, that there was these blatant things there because it was pretty much, like, it's, it seemed and felt like it was unregulated. You know, True. and so like that's why this could happen in a children's show, but because it, it felt like everything was flying under the radar. Yeah, but part of me sort of liked that nothing was like incredibly explicit. It was more of a story, with the exception of a few episodes, like when Rocco's trying to find a new job. Like there are some very clearly sexual and sort of not even innuendos. It's just very just like blatant. Like, oh, that's exactly what they're talking about. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they're saying. Um, that I was also just like, oh, that's wild that that's in a kid show. But going back to how, what you were saying about like if that redemptive sort of third act essentially for Heifer 
in the show, in that episode specifically, if that didn't happen, it would have been a bad episode. And looking back at a lot of the stuff that we have already looked at, that's why it's so hard for me oftentimes to be like, this is the hero. This is the person who yeah. we're supposed to like. There is nothing about this person that is redemptive. There was no growth. There was no self-evaluation. There was no maybe I am wrong. There was none of that. It was just an adherence to their shitty behavior. Whereas all of these characters in the show, even when they are shitty, they go through that and they allow themselves to do that even when their friends are like, what are you doing? But at the end of the day, they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I was so wrong and I'm so sorry and I did mess up and I'll be better. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. That's all we can ask. And thank you for saying you're sorry. Next I, episode. I'm going to push back on that a little okay. bit because I don't feel like the big heads, any of them, Rachel included, do that. Okay, you're correct, 100%. I'm saying more from a hero, like, if I'm looking at what the quote-unquote hero is in this story. So, like, Philbert, Heifer, Rock- and... Largely just mm-hmm. Rocco, since he's, like, the main, but his core group. Because the Big Heads are obviously, maybe not so much Mrs. Big Head, but Mr. Big Head is oftentimes the villainous person. Mm-hmm. And so because I'm not looking at him as, as the sort of hero or as, like, a redemptive character or to see some redemption within the character... The core group, Rocco, Filbert, and Heifer, I'm looking at them, and they're constantly doing that. In, in every episode where they do, they do flounder, they do fall, they do make mistakes, they're very quick to say, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. That was wrong. Which is great. Which is awesome. awesome. It was so good as a kid. Like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, that it's great because yeah. we do need absolutely, like, one of my biggest criticisms of most media is, like, they don't apologize. They don't have the capacity to do any of that, you know. Yeah. Or if it's an apology, it's like, I'm sorry if that offended you. Or I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, this is why I acted this way, you know, like, which there's a difference between, like, kind of explaining yourself. And there's a difference between, like, saying that it was something else's fault. It's uh, diminishing responsibility. You don't need any context. Just fucking say sorry. It's giving away your bullshit to somebody else and being like, you own this now, not me. It's like, nope, that's not theirs. It's yours. Figure it out. Can we also talk about how you were just naming all of the characters in the show and you named Mrs. Big Head and you're like, well, I mean, but most of the time it's like Mr. Big Head. Yes. This is a male centric show. Yes. Oh, 100%. So originally Rocco was initially supposed to have a sister. And that was part of the pitch for Nickelodeon. And then she got taken out because they were like, oh, well, it'd be better if he's just on his own. All right, fine. And then she she came back later, I think, in like one episode or something. But there was an interview with the creator when he was asked about female characters in Rocco, uh, like positive female characters and stuff. And the creator said that the show didn't have any positive male characters either. And that the show was made so it didn't have any role models, which is wild to think about. Then wait, it gets worse. So immediately after that, Nickelodeon tried to pressure Murray to add Magdalene, who was the the sister, back in, right? And he was, like, really, really hesitant on it. He's like, I don't want to do this because they're making me. So he just fucking scrapped the entire character because he didn't want the studio to tell him what to do. And then oh, they, poor baby. Uh, yeah. And then they kept putting pressure on him to the point to where they told him that they wanted a female, a strong female character with a hook. And so that's why we have Dr. Hutchinson because she has a literal hook because of what they asked him to do. That's isn't that bullshit? That is boring. So that's... the whole reason that we have Dr. Hutchinson and the whole reason she has a hook is because. 
it was him being shitty to the Nickelodeon executives. And he, like, cut a whole female character because he's like, you can't tell me what to do. So he doesn't think anybody in his universe is a good role model or a good character. And also, something that I found a little bit troubling, too, about, like, speaking of characters and, like, identifying with characters and everything, is the whole storyline for Rachel and the big heads and all of that was his way of telling his story with his parents. So how Rachel, when she works at, uh, she has her own studio and everything, and she's a fucking monster of a boss yeah. and a monster of a person to everybody. She's a jerk to everybody. She's a, she's an absolute jerk to everybody. It was him inserting his narrative saying like, you know, my parents didn't want me to be an animator. So this is what I went through and this is how I felt. And then like towards, I think towards like the end of Rocka, he was like fucking over it. And so that episode where Rachel is like, okay, cool. This is the last Fatheads episode. Peace. I'm out. I can do this next thing. And they're like, oh no, you have one more show. And she's like, what the fuck do you mean? And she's trying to sabotage the show the whole so time. So that's part of the narr- That's It's part of the... So he was literally writing himself as Rachel. as Rachel. Wow. So... I believe that. That seemed a little bit too introspective to be... Like... So watching those episodes too, especially with the... Um, what is it? Deli? The something deli? Wacky deli. Wacky deli. Mm-hmm. Where he then gives the reins to Rocco Heffer and Filbert to make this show. And he's like intentionally sabotaging it. But that whole thing where he's like trying to write this and it's like not good. And he's trying to self-sabotage. He's aggrandizing his mistakes and being like, he does this bad thing, but everyone loves it. And it's so good. And then he does the one good thing. And then everyone hates it. The show's canceled. It's mm-hmm. like, get over yourself. Like, I yeah. did not like Rachel's character in that moment. I was just like, this is... Like, I mean, again, there wasn't really much to like about Rachel even in that time mm-hmm. because she was an asshole of a boss and also kind of... I don't know. Like, you, like you're so successful. And you're like the biggest show on TV. You're doing all this amazing stuff. But your whole, like, villainous underbelly or your, like, internal self-sabotage character is based around the fact that your parents don't like your career. It's like, well, so many parents don't like their children's career. Like it just, it seemed like such a small thing that was becoming this big thing. Like I'll show them. I'm, and it's like, it's not that serious. I, not- yeah, I completely agree with you. And I feel like, um, you know how like Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood and they're, those are always the ones that win all the awards yeah. and all that stuff. I felt like really similarly to this where it's like, these were his favorite episodes because they were about him. And I just, I like, before I rewatched these episodes for this, I had seen the new special, like we talked about. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it and it was lovely and everything. And then going back and seeing Rachel's character and who she was before her transition, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, before she went off to go find herself and everything, I was like, I can't stand this character this character is like uh like fucking power abuse everywhere and like also trying to sabotage like these people that are trying to help and just being a fucking monster to them and like not giving them any credit and wanting to see them fail like i felt this episode was just yeah it was especially knowing that now that that was like murray's main motivation for these episodes and this whole arc with Rachel in these original episodes, especially with the sort of sabotage of getting the gang to destroy her own show to get off the network, to get out of a contract, right? Like that whole self-serving bullshit is whack, especially if it's like, 
this seems very white straight cis-centric <laughs> of, of a of a storyline to be like i'm othered because my parents don't like my job and it's like oh sweetie like that's if that's the worst of your problems is your rich and famous and all of this goodness and your parents are still just like well we wish you were something else it's like yeah but that's we need to take a break for a second oh, okay what happened this is about joe murray so, um, we just did some Googling about him. Yes, he is a straight white man, but he was, sounds like, very bitter about this show. Um, so, from Wikipedia, in 1992, two months prior to the production of season one of Rocco's Modern Life, Murray's first wife, Diane, committed suicide. Murray had blamed the show being taken as the reason for his wife's suicide. He felt that he had emotional and physical unresolved issues when he moved to Los Angeles. He describes the experience as participating in a marathon with his pants around his ankles. He believes that he would create one season, move back to San Francisco, and clean up the loose ends that he had left hanging. So that so that's going into the show. That's development for season one. Yeah. So when the show essentially gets picked up and he has to move to L.A. from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. that's when this happens. Oof. Damn, that's rough. That is rough. Well, okay. So, but... Do you think so? So with that, do you think that's why he says none of the characters are good? Because there is a sort of general, uh, I, I don't want to say pessimism because I feel like that belittles or, or, or makes light of what happened. But do you think that's why he phrased that all these characters were not good? Maybe. Because I do think that they are and I do think that. I think he's incorrect when he says that none of these characters are redemptive or good because I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at, at all. all. No. Yeah. Um, and I wonder at that point what his what his idea of good or a hero or like it makes sense why like there would be so many wild things that happen like so many like just a victim of circumstance of like all this different stuff you know but like I I agree I don't think that. Uh, I do think that Rocco is a very, like you said, like a, a sweet person. He yeah. just happens to like be in the wrong place at the wrong time most times, you know. Yeah. So, or he gets bad advice. Yeah. Or something, yeah. It's interesting and it's really tragic yeah. that that happened. But like I also, I don't think that that changes how I feel about a lot of this stuff. Oh, because, me, me neither. Yeah. And, and in the same way that it's like, I I and I I would hope that that didn't turn into some sort of like I I, I for some reason I'm connecting the um my parents are mad at me that I'm an animator that kind of thing and making that like the biggest like I have it the hardest situation and this is like the worst thing in the world that has a smell of arrogance about it and so taking that into perspective with things that have gone on and what he said at least from what we've read with certain things paints a certain kind of character um, tragedy aside. So mm-hmm. I'm taking that into consideration. And so I think I'm trying to phrase it in that way mm-hmm. where it's like that did smell arrogant. That did smell very like straight. White I, I feel like, I feel like, <laughs> yeah. And so, and so because of that devoid of what happened with him, because again, I'm not to make light of or belittle that because that is 
awful and that's just it right but just the my life is so hard because my parents don't like my job reeks of arrogance and entitlement and that's that part specifically that's part that part specifically and so i would hate the idea of that type of arrogance to be conflated with tragedy in any way or tied to it or a growth of from sadness to this and saying like i've had the hardest life because it's not a game of competition. It's not this. And when you say things or have this storyline where like you are the hero because you're so beaten down and you're so this, it's like you're not beaten down. You're rich. You're successful. You're all these things, but you're, you're worse. You're Batman. <laughs> your worst strife in life, though, at this point is that your parents don't like your job. That paints a very particular character. And that's the part that I'm like Ugh, about with this person. Yeah. So. So let's try to take that aside because I, I literally only just read about that mm. right now. Whereas like most of the stuff that I've read regarding Rachel and her story has to do with like his struggle with his parents and stuff like that. Yeah. Which like when we move into like, you know, when we first see her and stuff like that, she has her own studio and she has all this and so it's very it's very showy and it's very like pissy kind of like how she acts to everybody just like you know oh you're all fired whatever just like i mean not because she had it hard everybody else has to have it hard or she's gonna treat everybody else like garbage but i really a lot of people love those episodes and i fucking hate it yeah i hated it a lot i thought the redemptive thing for me though i thought it was funny the episodes of the deli where they're like trying to make this show and it's like a mess and just like these three friends are trying to make this thing but they're getting at each other's throats and then even Philbert's like character like the cheese is the most important character or yeah. whatever <laughs> it's just like that's all the dialogue is for that that I remember these moments and I was like this is fun this is funny to me but Rachel's character herself was the worst part of those episodes yeah well there's there's a point where Rachel is like sitting there watching the show and she's like there's not enough pain in this. Oh, yeah. And, like, the whole show is about her parents. And her parents know it, too. But they refuse to change. Her whole thing is trying to get back at her parents and, like, trying to make them see her by belittling them. Not realizing, and, like, you know, it's not super clear, but, like, Rachel just essentially becomes her dad. Yeah. But at a different company. But at a different company. And even look at that. Look at the episode like those episodes themselves where she got to where she was she was going to be given this good job at conglomo with mr big head and they had the whole donut thing and they broke the donut it's like ceremonious and she said no this isn't what i want she was being given so much this high paying high about position generational wealth generational <laughs> wealth exactly talk about nepotism. that nepotism so if we're talking about this character being this arrogant per- like they she was given so much within this story to be the asshole that she was. That just reeks of arrogance and pride and affluence and, and that, everything that sort mm-hmm. of comes with that. So if this was a character that Joe Murray was writing to reflect his own existence, it all feels very accurate. <laughs> I have <laughs> my notes for Rachel are a jerk who is taking out her problems on everybody else and punching down. Desk is so high, so she's above everybody else and she needs therapy. Yeah. And she also has like this complex of when she actually like gets out of animation and does her like, you know, I'm going to create this massive still life, you know, <laughs> nobody gives a shit about it. And so like, you know, just like you were saying, like that narrative of like, 
everybody loves this, but that's not what I want to do. I'm going to go do what I want to do. But look, this is the greatest work of my life and nobody sees it. It's like, just, why doesn't anybody see this? It's no- the garbage self-aggrandizement of, of existence. I am so, so, so incredibly special where I'm like, yeah, have confidence. That's super important. But give like, me some of that because I need that. Right, but but like <laughs> she's be- she's belittling all of this work that is successful and saying like I'm above this. I'm above this childish shit. I'm above all this. Like I don't even care anymore. I don't even care about this. Whereas and it's just, when you think what? about somebody like Rocco, right? Like Rocco, legit. Like he gets fired from from his first comic book shop, right? And he's not even referred to as uh, an employee name. He's a number. Yep. Uh, you know, it's like eight five seven one two. Come in, and they fire him to combat unproductivity or whatever, right? And then he takes jobs like a plumber's assistant, where he pulls up the dude's pants, right? I... He takes a job as he's a phone sex operator, right? Yep. He's also. He's a tattoo artist. Tattoo artist, that's right. He he tattoos a can of beans on the roof of a mouth of a rhino whose name is Mr. Horny. (laughs) (laughs) And then that was the that was the scene where he was a sex phone operator. Yes. Um that was like so overt and like I he's just like, Oh baby, oh baby, oh baby. And it's like Mrs. Big Head. And it's Mrs. Big Head, which I love because then there was the other episode where like she's trying to uh, oh yeah, like I have affection. so many notes for that. Yes, show. yeah. But then there was even a, a poster on the wall that said "Be hot, be naughty, be courteous," and I was like, yeah. "That is so cute, so good, so cute." I love that. It's so. It's like it's not. It's not demeaning sex in any way. And even Mm-mm. also like, it's a kid show, but it's doing such a positive thing. We're like in their workplace, like be be hot, be naughty, be courteous, like be kind. I mean, yes, be sexy, but also be courteous. Be be be. It's it's more than just that. It's all of these other things. Yeah. Right? Which I was just like, that's sick. I so like good. That. Yeah. Yeah. But like my point of bringing that up is Rocco, not at any point does he feel that he is above any of these jobs. No. Right. Like and whenever, you know, somebody like let's take the big head, the OK boomer of this story. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ed, he'd be like if Rocco had to go on like food stamps or something or like any sort of welfare, he'd be like, you're not working hard enough where that guy hasn't like had to do anything different in how long? Like, he's been sitting at his big important desk for how long? Yep. You know? And meanwhile, Rocco really is trying, and he's really, like, nothing is above him. And every time, like, no matter what, like, in each job, he finds something to, like, say, like, oh, this isn't so bad. Yes, because because he's doing all of the he's he's doing all the testing on the products that are faulty, right? So they go into the room with all yeah. the faulty products. There's the nose changer where it changes all these things, and he's like, "Oh, this is actually pretty cool. I kind of like this." Mm-hmm. And then the chewing gum that's like supposed to grow shit on your body. He goes to treat, and he's like, "Honestly, this is sick. Like, wow, he's we could so really yes and he's with, so yes and with and positive. Everything. And I'll even tie in. Look at that direct optimism in this beacon of just like pure positivity and pure optimistic like i'm gonna make the best of a bad situation right so he has his moments where he's going through this and even gets thrown into the giraffe pen and then Mm -hmm. they just go right by him and he's like okay cool but in the episode two where he does get fired from that comic book job Mm -hmm. next where he always keeps getting to work late and then he shows up his boss takes his spot and he's like 
right, that's fine. He goes to park somewhere else and he's late to work and his boss writes him up. He's like, even though his boss lives literally literally next door, door. has to get pull out. So like just there's so many ways in which the, the higher ups and the CEOs and like these big company men just continually like not just like, you know, inconvenience the workers life, but like try to sabotage them in so many ways. And I thought that that was um, really heartbreaking, but also really clever because I mean, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that's the way it is a lot of the time. But yeah. but like looking at Rocco in this moment, too, where like he's late. But if you're late again, you're fired. OK, how am I going to get to work and not be late? So then he goes and finds a parking spot. He tests it. His car gets towed. Now he doesn't have a car and he doesn't have the money to get his car out of the lot. Right. So now what is he going to do? Uh, I guess I'll take public transit. Great. Yeah. Even though it's scary. He does it. It doesn't work out. And then he after tries that, four different things. He gets a bike. And then that doesn't work out. He and does like, the taxi, the bus, the subway, and the bike. Yes. He tries all of those things. And none of them work because here in America, it sucks. Yeah. Public transit is horrible. Mm-hmm. Japan knows what's up. Yeah. Japan is great for that. But like public transit here is like non-existent. If you don't have a car, then it's like it's so much harder to get anywhere and it takes you so much more time to get anywhere. Yeah. Especially like if you're not in a place like, you know, New York or something like that, right? Yes. Like uh, I lived in Southern California for a really long time and it took you like anywhere between like 45 minutes and two and a half hours to get like 15 miles. Yeah. It was wild. Which is nuts, right? And Um, to expect people to do that and a lot for that time is just like, And then add so much more time on top of public transit and then like it not necessarily being the safest sometimes, you know, being like, I don't take public transit here because of that. Yeah. You know, Um, but like it's they did a lot of work to show the lack of wealth and how like there's this line Rocco says where he says, uh, how does everyone keep up with this? I can't keep up. Yeah. And I think it's like that second episode where it's talking about like credit cards and stuff like that, right? And like it's wild because like you don't have a car, you can take public transit, but it's going to be gross and you're going to be late. Okay, fine. Or like you don't have money, that's cool. You can put it on credit. But the second that you get credit, you're demonized and you are like made to feel less than because you owe me money. You better fucking give me my money. Yeah. You know, he gets home and the, uh, the, the oxygen the has expired. <laughs> he had a bill for oxygen. I love that's that. So wild. But like when you're broke, when you have no money, like it is, it is so terrifying and so anxiety driven. Like when he was laying in bed with like the cold sweats and the anxiety and like trying to go over everything and like bad dreams and everything. That is so fucking real. That's the episode that made me terrified of all of that. Man. Yeah. So they take a lot of care. To show the difference between somebody like the big heads or somebody like the executives that had the gold toilet and stuff like that, right? We're going to have to sell this. (laughs) To where, like, Rocco has, like, a couch and, like, kind of a A busted TV. And a bad TV. (laughs) And he's just like, this is great. You know, everything's fine. Whereas, like, the people that have all the money and stuff like that are like, everything is terrible. Like, just everything is, like, always shitty the whole time. Like, so, so yeah, they, I really appreciated them showing the difference between uh in economic class yeah but but also just showing like the kindness that Rocco had and continued to have even in these moments of like pure terror and pure panic of 
I don't have money for tomorrow. And like, even in that episode, he's like, I'm sorry, I don't have enough money to buy you food, Spunky. Like, imagine how that feels. Imagine how sad and scary that is. But even in that moment, even when he feels like literally less than nothing to the point where he can't even support his own dog, he is just happy to be there. He's just happy to have his dog to be there. Be like, it will get better and things will be fine. But today is not going to be that day. Like to have the resilience and the like right about this. to like, have ugh. to have the resilience and the kindness to to even allow yourself to think that way, yeah. What what joy? Like and not not to say that like the whole system's fucked, obviously, but like just him as a character. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm not to be like, yeah, you should be happy before. No, because <laughs> it's a whole thing. Well, and- but it's just him allowing himself, even in this moment of really, really, really low, to say, I'm still thankful for you. Spunky. I'm still thankful for this house. I'm I'm still thankful. Yeah. Regardless of what's happening, I'm still thankful for my life here with you. I'm just like, hell yeah. That is a hero. That is a fucking hero. That's who I want to see. That these characters who are like they they goodness. It's just goodness. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, that's part of the reason why I loved the show so much is yeah. because it did a really good job of especially as a kid, you know, like I mean my parents didn't really show me about the world or anything like that. And so I learned about it through this show, you yeah. know, and spoiler alert, a lot of it was true. <laughs> you know? I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like just the fact that he lives in this world that seems like it's just constantly trying to take him down and it doesn't break him. Mm-hmm. He's never broken he always like he might get frazzled or he might get like i mean like let's go into the next episode that i wanted to bring up let's bring up the episode where rocco gets deported oh yeah so uh this was so fucked in so many ways so Um, this was kiss me i'm foreign was the episode yeah so he there there's a lot going on with race and stuff here too because like his friends don't understand what being deported means because they're Americans and they throw a party for him because he's getting deported and he's like what are you doing why are you doing this and the the cop dude or whatever he is comes up and he like is like giggling to himself just so giddy and so excited I to love, deport him I love he's that like I know character. that I told you I know that I told you that you were going to go next week but <laughs> it's today uh, it's today yeah. you know I loved how villainous that giggle felt and oh, just as a character choice yeah. to to make the guy who's deporting Rocco like giggly, I was like, "Ooh, that's gross." I love it. Like that's such a good choice. I do want to bring up this has some really big conversations about race in the same way that Zootopia did, but way before. Because mm-hmm. that movie was like fantastic in discussing sort of the othering and the different things and having that big conversation, right? Whereas yeah. this, in the very same way, like he's being deported they don't know what that is and it's the whole american foreign immigrant conversation whereas like in that other episode too we'll come right back to this one but when he goes to dinner with heifer and heifer doesn't tell him that his family is wool are wolves and he's a wallaby the grandpa's like i'm pretty sure you're not this you're a beaver i want to eat you and they're all just like no it's this so it's this feeling of othering and this feeling of like being a prey into uh family predators right like well, it's putting people uh, in potentially bad situations but because you don't see different cultures or whatever, right? It's all just kind of like a melting pot. Yeah. Like you don't realize that like, oh, 
this could be bad. This could be, you know, and so without realizing it or without like really thinking about it, like Heifer acknowledges in that where it's like, oh, by the way, my family, like, you know, my grandpa doesn't like wallabies, but it's okay. He's, you know, it's fine. nearsighted. And then it's all wolves. He doesn't know that, right? And he's like, what the fuck? And then in the same way, Rocco, when he takes Heifer to his uncle's ranch. Yes. And Heifer gets like booted out with the other cows, he's right? Like, this isn't the and city. he does he doesn't realize that like, you know, he's like, if you were my friend, you would brand my butt. Cause he's just trying to like fit in with the group, not realizing what he's getting into. And so like then there's like racism on both sides there. And it is just they're so naive because they live in the city that they don't realize what's happening, like and or how these things work. Or like, you know, these these systems or these cultures and all of that. And they just because they're so naive, they put themselves in these really fucking bad situations with their and put their friends in danger, you know? Do, like yeah. I mean, like, but but even in those dangerous situations, I still love because like that whole conversation when they get there, it's like this is in the city, this is how it works. He's a cow, he goes in the field. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh damn, that's rough. But I mean, Heifer takes that awful moment as an opportunity to say like, well, yeah, I want to like, sure, I want to hang out. This yeah. kind of childish whimsy and optimism of like. Sure, I'll I'll do this, and and Rocco's still very like trepidatious with his uncle because it's not the same memory that he had of his uncle, who was like this cowboy when he was a kid. He gets there, and he's like, "Oh, this is not the same person. This is not the same memory I had." Mm-hmm. But he's trying to make the most of it as well, where he's like learning and growing, and then like going to like what was it, the Moo Club or whatever yeah. that Heifer goes to, and Heifer's like, "These are my people, and I'm just going to do this." And Rocco is just kind of like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, like this isn't for me, and I know that, and I'm not going to." put myself in this position or make it feel like I need to know this because I don't. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. Not all media is for you. And he knows that this media is not for him, so he's going to leave. And I'm like, Rocco, you're so good. <laughs> like, you're just you're so good. And so he leaves. And then there's that whole thing. And he's like, hey, so I'm going to, what was it? Going to, uh, not the going store. Going to the market. market. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm going to market. I'm trying to figure out this thing. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. And he's like, wait, that's not what that means. And so he's going to be sold. And so then yeah. Rocco's like, hey, this is too far. Like, no, we're not doing this. Please stop the truck. And he stops the truck. And then even his racist ass uncle afterwards, he's like, you know what? Seeing your guys' friendship, he's like, I've done some soul searching too. And I've realized I've been a bad guy. So my farm is no longer uh, a dairy farm or a farm uh, to harvest. It's a club. Or, yeah. He's like, it's literally, he literally says it's a resort now. Yeah. And we're all just going to live here and it's going to be chill. And I was like, even though I'm like very like hesitant, I'm like, you can't turn a new leaf that fast. Like, chill. For sure. But at the same time, in the small scope of this story, I'm like, that is what a hero does. A hero changes people's perspectives, shows and allots for new stories and new ways of thinking and new ideals. And I'm like, yeah, Rocco well, is a and hero. What's so interesting is this is a world where they're allowed to make change, right? Yes. And big change. Mm-hmm. So I kind of believe in this world that they're able to do that because like there's an episode about like pollution and stuff like that, right? Oh, the and I just want to bri- yeah, I wanted to briefly mention this because I don't feel like it's a big plot point, but they are able to change like just super easy. Like they all get together. It's cool. They go up to conglomerate and are like, hey, you're polluting everything. Can you just stop? And they're like, okay. How fucking cool. Yeah. How cool is that? Like yeah. that should be able to happen like all the time. Yeah. So like if the company like within like a matter of like seconds, like I was I've completely forgot how that episode ended and I just remember being like, fuck yeah. Like sick. so it's like 
in a world where like big companies can make that change so quickly and so easily, like I want to believe that this happened, you yeah. know? So it's like, that's one of the things that I do like about this world is when somebody does make a change, it is a change. Yeah. And it's a, a positive change, yeah. you know? People are open to the idea of change and not yeah. as resistant to it. And also in the same episode, in that same episode too, that first little half where they were all like, do your part, conserve. In my head, I was like, that's bullshit. What about conglomo? Like, because I forgot about this episode. I was like, yeah. what the fuck about Conglomo? They're probably wasting all this stuff. What about these big companies? And then it's like, they're boom, the fucking ones. And then one of them was like, what about them? And then it shows Conglomo and there's like waste falling off the building. They're like, actually, that's a really good point. You know what? That's probably more important. And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly where this is going. Because in my head, I was like, I wonder if this older show is going to get that same point that I feel like a lot of people are having conversations Damn about right they now. Did. And they did. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Rocco, you roll. Like... I did want to go back really quickly to that um, Homeland Security thing. Yes. Where, just um, yeah, just real quick, just because um, so ultimately Rocco has to marry Filbert, right? And Filbert has to pose as a woman because it's 1995 and he can't be a man. Yeah. Right. But I wanted to point out that Filbert is super, super ready to be a housewife, right? And he's so good at it and so sweet. And Rocco's like, Yo, dude, like you're in my space because he's not ready for a relationship. He's not ready for anybody to be in his space or to be like calling him like, hey, how are you doing? Whatever. And so as soon as like, you know, when once he's like, oh, fuck this. And Filbert turns into like shitty husband. He goes from being perfect wife to shitty husband. I like nothing. Yeah. Right. And then that whole altercation, because then they like, you know, are upset and they start like arguing and they're like, well, I don't want to ruin my friendship, blah, 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 blah. And it ends in them literally hitting each other with stuff. It like it ends in domestic abuse. That sucked. That was wild. That that escalated so quick. It did. But but so, yeah, I didn't like that. I did like the resolve where they were like yelling at each other in a way that was just like, well, I don't want this to ruin my our friendship. I think our friendship's more important. It's like, I also think our friendship's more important and we shouldn't be doing this. Then why are we yelling? I don't know. I liked that part too. Yeah. I didn't like the, no, the, I, the abuse before I that. I 100% agree. But. And I also like how they did play with gender in such a way that was very just like just acknowledging the binary, but also just like who fucking cares because that's fake anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, yes, perfect housewife, but it's still Filbert assumingly male identified Filbert yeah. playing a housewife drag. And then as soon as Rocco, like you said, is just like, I don't need this. He's just like, fine. Goes home, doesn't shave. Just like, <laughs> can you give me this? Like, ah, oh, I'm so like, Bleh, and it's like farting everywhere. And it's like gross. Like, and so the opposite of like this hyper feminized, it's more of a hyper masculinized version. And I liked how it was just like, oh, Filbert could be both. Filbert could be either or. And like, I like that too. I, I loved how just very... F- fun and also like uh play at the the binary itself and being like it doesn't it doesn't matter like yeah be whoever you are filbert that day was feeling very feminine and then the next day was feeling very masculine in whatever I think terms it was the that, same day it was the same day yeah and that's sick filbert good for you filbert yeah love good it. for you i live i, I live wanted to that. point that out because i thought yeah. that was real fun 100 percent. except for the domestic abuse yeah that was not horrible. cute um okay so let's see I want to talk about Leapfrog with uh, Mrs. Big Head pining for Rocco's affection. Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah, because I know that you had mentioned that earlier. And I also want to talk about this. 
about how fucked up that is. Yeah, it was it was a very weird story with I I'm really really hesitant to say the word good in this phrasing of like a good message because that's not the way to do it you need to communicate like if something's happening don't I'm like Mrs. Bighead 100% get get not get yours but also just like yeah you're feeling neglected Mr. Bighead sucks like you're you you want you're communicating that like hey I want to be sexual with you we're married like is that cool like can we talk about this he's ignoring you he's he's just like he doesn't give a shit he's not being a good partner at all so she's like you know what I am beautiful and I am worth it and I'm gonna get somebody to notice me but that was entrapment and that was also yes. emotional abuse <laughs> emotional and physical abuse actually it's both so that's a hundred percent not even close to the way to get it go about that but um. Yeah, that whole thing was wild. And, like, she forces him to sit down and watch porn. Yup. That was so weird. That totally went over my head as a kid. You know? And, like... The mating rituals of toads was the fucking VCA... Or the VHS tape she put in the player. And I was just like, oh, so we're just straight up going to be watching porn. Yes, we are. Also, one of the toads they drew boobs on... (laughs) They're like, it's like a really subtle, just a pencil detail. But I was like, oh, shut up. Like, it's so dumb. You don't like your toads with boobs? It's like that whole stupid thing. It's like, well, how are we going to know the skeleton's female? Draw boobs on it. Oh, God, I hate that so bad. Shut up. Like, it does. Ugh. I just have to laugh at it. I know. Because it's it's so so goofy. It's so goofy. But I thought that that was absolutely wild. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, the whole thing was just like entrapment and all of that and she was just relentless like and so patronizing in how she was doing everything too she's like oh "Oh, can you fix this and most of the time there was nothing wrong and there was nothing uh he's like changing a light bulb at one point and she just goes over there and does it herself and she's like i have something for you or and so she like takes him to the other room and stuff and then like she gets him naked and then she like she ends up naked because she like doesn't fit into that dress, dress or whatever. And then, yeah. and then like Mr. Big Head comes home and he's just like, what? And Rocco, who this entire time feels super clearly uncomfortable and just wants nothing to do but leave, sees that she is being treated like shit and again puts himself aside and tells Mr. Big Head, he's like, look, she is a beautiful wonderful woman and you need to see this and you know she's capable and like he just like talks her up and she any any man would be lucky to be with her and stuff like that and he gets pissed you know and he's like how dare you talk about somebody's got to you know like but he he you can see like mrs big head just kind of like shrink down because there's a point in that episode too where she knows what she's doing is wrong and she knows that's wrong and Mm -hmm. she knows it's uncomfortable but, but she can't stop herself because she needs to feel she needs to feel love or feel attractive or to feel wanted. She yeah. needs to feel that. And she's not getting that from her partner. She's not getting that from somebody who... And she's she, locked up at home all day. Yeah. She doesn't have that How autonomy. often do we see her away from her house? Truly. Yeah. When? Outside. She's outside in the yard. Sometimes. But she's inside, like, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But that... See, and that's again... But we get to see Mr. Bighead everywhere else. <laughs> we get to see all of the other characters everywhere else, but... I can't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like every time we see her, she's at home. Yeah. That episode was actually pulled 
and was replaced with a different episode because it was not allowed to be aired anymore because that's when they realized, oh, this is uh, maybe something that our <laughs> kids cool. should not be watching. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that episode was, uh, it was the one that I remember the most. <laughs> yeah, that was a wild episode. I like, I do like, though, that it does reinstill and reiterate the idea that Rocco is an actual hero. Because, mm-hmm. like, he, like you said, he puts himself aside, puts puts all the abuse aside, even though he has every right to be like, what the fuck's your problem? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want this. Stop making this happen. I'm going. I'm leaving. Stop this. Um, she's being a total ass to him and being a total abuser. But even in that moment when he sees, to some extent, why she's reacting and responding this way, he's like, oh, well, that's wrong also. So despite what I've gone through, that was wrong. I understand that this is wrong and I can help this now. So I'm going to help that. And I'm going to show that like, yes, you've got, you guys should work on your thing. Yeah. I'm not a part of this and I shouldn't have never have been a part of this. But you need to understand that she is your partner and that this is something that you both have to fix. And you guys need to talk and communicate together your needs. I'm going to go home. And I'm like, you're... A hero, he's Rocco. So good. He's so good. I'm just like Rocco is so dope. He's such a good character. I feel like I've exhausted that belief or that idea, especially on this. Just like he's so sick. He's so good. He is a hero. We stand, Rocco. We stand, Rocco. He's so dope. At least in this one. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. What else do we got? Um. So I wanted to talk about. She's the toad. We're saying on Mrs. Wanna, Big Head? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. So, yeah, on She's the Toad, it's Mr. Big Head's big day to go give this huge proposal. He's like, hella stressed, hella stressed, hella stressed. And she's like, you got this, babe. Don't worry about it. You're going to be Being great. Being super lovely Being and supportive. super wonderful. And then on his way out, he falls and his whole head smashes and shatters. And he's sick. He literally lost it. He cannot think he's not there anymore, right? So he's gone out of the picture. And then Mrs. Big Head gets uh, Heifer and Filbert, creates a costume for them to pretend to be Mr. Big Head to go give the proposal. They go, terrible costume, but they give the proposal that she wrote for them to say. They say it. And then at the end of it, they're like, surprise! It's just me, Filbert, and and Heifer. They're like, who sent you here? It's like, Mrs. Big Head. So these were her ideas. Yes. Where is she? Downstairs. Sick. And they're like, but we said it. They're like, that doesn't matter. No. Which is amazing. Which I Isn't love. that? Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. Like, like that that's she, not, those aren't your words. She still got credit for it and got like, and it wasn't like, oh, cool. Thanks for those ideas. Like, get her up here now. Yeah. Where is she? We need to talk to her. She's a genius. Who Where? is she? Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah, and then they immediately go down there and they're like, what did you have to say about this? She's like, well, I just think you can increase productivity by like 49% if you were to stop doing this and maybe you change this. They're like, you're hired. Help us. You are so smart. Let's go. And in the course of like two days, she's essentially VP (laughs) and has the best office, the best desk. And she's just like, yeah, I'm just doing this. And like, I. And she knows she can. And and she knows she can. And she's just like, yeah, like, cool. This is my knowledge. This is my skill set. And. I know what I'm doing. And they're all like, yeah, you do. Help us. You're amazing. Which is why it's such a bummer that 90% of the show, she's in the house. I know. Especially after seeing this. Like, she is so capable. She is so much more capable than all these other people. And then I also love that at a certain point, she's like, would you say I, I helped with X, Y, and Z? They're like, you helped with X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And she's like, great. I quit. And they're like, why? And she's like, because you don't need me anymore. I did my job. And they're like, but we can do so much more. She's like, but I miss my husband. I miss 
I miss yeah. my family. And ah. which is which is a whole other thing, but it's this confidence, this this understanding of like I know my worth and no amount of money you give me or amount of praise you give me will tell me my worth. I know my worth. And right now, I want to go do this and I'm going to go do that. Which is so wild to me that she has that much confidence and she stays with Mr. Big Head. I know. He's such a fucking piece of shit. And I mean – Maybe that's why she's with him is because she has to constantly work to get his approval and she just has everybody else's already. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that dynamic is. But, like, to see a character be so fucking capable and so confident and so strong and, like, just every other time you see her, she's, like, she's a little kinky and she's, yeah. like, uh, she's part of the nudist colony or she's... <laughs> I love that episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. You know, what else? There's, like, the one episode where, like, Mr. Bighead's in the hamster ball. They don't even talk about it, but he's oh, in the he's hamster ball. Oh, chasing her around? Yeah, and oh. I was, like, they don't talk about it. They don't do anything, you know, and then they're, like, breaking the plates and the other one and stuff like that. Like, she's kinky. She's... She is hella kinky. <laughs> I love... So I love that. That's why at the beginning... And I... you see, like, a nude from, like, which I love that it's, like, normalizing like dude dudes too right yes. because like most of the time it's like all oh, a oh, woman but like yeah. when it was professionally done and nude of fucking mr big head i was love like it. like i just love the idea <laughs> of seeing that conversation being like you need to go get these photos taken i will pay for them i need you to go do this and i want these thank you like uh, it's just thanks, so cute Ed. and i love i did so that's why i said at the beginning like the big heads but largely just mr big head because i do think that mrs big head Generally, apart from some abusive shit, and like obviously, like she contains multitudes, so she's yeah. she's can be a mess. She has the capacity to be shitty, right? As do we Everybody all. Do. Yeah. But largely, she is a wonderful character with the she's, confidence of a million people, and she's always like yes and, and you know, not to go back into the other one, the n- next segment, but she immediately embraces <gasps> her yes. daughter. Yeah, immediately, no yeah. questions asked, no questions. and she's just like. I got these heels and they're in her size and oh my god like you know before she even gets to see her because she's just so excited yeah she's excited she's, to meet her daughter and she's like she probably feels like way better and way more confident and all this stuff like what's your problem like yeah. she embraces change she gets it she is fucking wonderful so to see her own that and to see her be like great this is not what I want. I really wanted to help, and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. But this is not what I want in my life. Yeah. And I loved that we had that episode because she's not just a housewife. Yep. 100%. And we know that it is a choice for her. It's, yep. Which is super which important. Which is fantastic. But again, like you said, how often are we seeing that confidence? How often are we seeing her? You know, even with the knowledge of, yes, it is a choice that she's staying home. Yes. She has so much more confidence and capacity for this skill set way more than Mr. Big Head. She's way, mm-hmm. way better than he is. But she chooses to stay home. It still is unfortunate that even with that character, she is like the only one of the two female characters we see. And how often do we see her really? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, <sighs> that is... The more I watched it and remembered her, the more I'm like, yeah, dude, Mrs. Big Head is sick. <laughs> like, she's so great. She's awesome. I really, really love her. Same. Um, well, since we covered that, let's go ahead and let's talk about Heifer and his family. Is that good? Yeah. Uh, like, there's this whole narrative because, like, Heifer is adopted by yes. a bunch of wolves, mm-hmm. right? So it's, like, just a dysfunctional family, but it's our dysfunctional family. It's chaotic, but it's our chaotic, you know, that sort of thing. Like, pack mentality, right? Yeah. But 
heifer was originally going to be eaten. Which is wild. And then they fell in love with him, so they kept him. They fattened him up to eat him because he was too skinny. Yeah. they fell in love with him, so they adopted him. His birthmark is literally like cuts of meat, which was real rough. Yeah. And again, shows just how oblivious he is to everything. But like also when Rocco was like walking around the house and he like opened the door and there's 12 little red riding hoods in there and then opens the medicine cabinet and there's the three little pigs like... That was rough. That was rough. Like. I was like, holy shit, Joe, what is this? Yeah. And like. I also want to bring up within this pack, the patriarchs of the pack. So the grandfather and the father, Uh they are the cause for the dysfunction, right? The kids, even the son who's like going to practice. Who I love. I love Love. Hef's brother. He's like, I'm I'm going to practice. And then he walks out and he's wearing a, a female presenting cheerleading outfit. And he's like. Go on, say what you need to say. I don't care. Like, whatever. <laughs> and the only person who's saying anything is the dad and the grandpa. The grandpa, yeah. barely, because he can barely see, but the dad who's just like, You're not a man! Ugh! And, like, the mom's like, Let him go. Shut up. Yeah, like, cool. And then later, the ballerina thing. Yeah. It, like, I'm going to my performance, and they're like, What are you? And then they turn, and he's uh, wearing a tutu, and it's like, Go ahead, say it. I was just like, you're dope. This character, this son is I wanted sick. more of him. And the sister, too. It's like, oh, she took a vow of silence. Like, they're these, these <laughs> yeah. like, radical kids. They reminded me, they were both, like, who's Eliza's sister in Wild Thornberries? Oh, um, God, it's... Debbie. Yeah. So they reminded me very much. It's like the Daria, the Debbie, the them. Like The is Judy this... from uh, Doug. Yes. Yeah. Very much that sort of archetype. And I was so here for them. Yeah. But the patriarchs are the only messy people. And the mom is like, she gets nervous, but oftentimes she's very supportive and very understanding. And like, even though she is a part of the pack, she can still understand when there are certain moments that aren't appropriate or aren't working. And she is very open to suggestions and open to the idea of it not being okay. And I think that the main reason why she's hesitant is because she knows the expectations from the pack. Yeah. And so I don't think that it's like, oh, I'm nervous because of me or whatever. She's nervous because she knows how the patriarchs are going to respond to this. And then later on, we get to see, like, there's a whole tribe, right? So there's, like, an elder and all this other stuff. And then it's even worse, you know? (laughs) But, like... Because that whole rites of passage thing for him to become a quote-unquote man, which is rough... Yeah, but, like, the, the patriarchy in that and, like, the parental expectations, which are all by the men, like you were saying, right? So it's, like, dad says, when are you going to give up that kid stuff and do something important? And he tries to find, like, an example of anybody in the room that has done something important, and he literally can't, like, around their family. So he's putting these unrealistic expectations on his son. Mm-hmm. Then there's also, like, the time where he is, like, apparently we still love you mom says, you know, which is like, geez, and like Heifer, again, being so oblivious and so like kind is just like, oh, yay. Okay. Thanks, dad. Yeah. And then like, I don't know. He's just, he's trying to be, he's so hard on his son because he doesn't want him to be like him. Right. Yeah. But his dad pretty much like proposed to mom with armpit farts. So like he needs to shut his mouth. Yeah. He's not. A good character and like all of his frustrations from just like why can't you be normal and you're just like okay boomer yeah <laughs> like he's just exactly that character that structure and same with his dad with the grandpa he's the exact same it's the same toxic male you need to be like this this or no way you're not this don't be a pansy blah 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 like that yeah. 
all of that gendered bullshit about like what is and is not a quote unquote man is just so tired and fucked and toxic and they're the epitome of that and I think having these other characters be like the opposite to sort of counter that I'm like yeah the family's dope not the patriarchs the patriarchs are trash yeah and then tying these patriarchal figures in conjunction with a matriarch like Mrs. Big Head in other episodes is really interesting because you're seeing like what did Heifer's dad ever do is he a salesman? Like, who knows? But his job's irrelevant. He looks like a salesman. He doesn't do anything important or good, but he has all of the words and all the authority to say, this is wrong and this is right. Whereas Mrs. Bighead shows and proves and does time and time again. She knows exactly who she is. She talks mm-hmm. about who she is. She says who she is and she does who she is. Like, confidence forever. The patriarchs are trash. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. And then when they ask Heifer to bring home an elk for dinner, and he, again, just so sweet and oblivious that he's like, oh, cool. I had a really big problem with that for lots of reasons. Um, My biggest one, though, is the lying to get what you want slash need. Yes. Pretending to be an, it was an antelope? An elk. Elk. Pretending to be an elk to uh, to get an elk to go on a date with you. So he was lying to this woman for so, like, I mean, probably a couple days, but, like, still, he was lying to for her this whole montage. time. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for the whole montage. For the whole montage, he was lying. And then she, <laughs> like, what pissed me off about that was they go out once everything is resolved, and he's like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, he, he actually apologizes, like, I'm super sorry that I lied to you. This sucks. And she's like, she won't not date him because he lied to her. She's like, oh, that's fine. Whatever. She won't date him because he's a steer. Yep. Which, Which is, is another gross thing. Because everything else was fine. It was covered up, yeah. you know, or like it was, you know, water into the bridge. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I hated that. Yeah. I mean, it felt very much just like uh, some of those stories that I see with wealthy families who come from like privileged white heritage where they're just very much just like, well, they're not a Remington or they're not a this, so you can't even associate with them. But then that, if we're talking about like largely white people, but then a get out situation where it's like one person of color shows up and then everyone's just like, well, I don't know about this. It just felt very othering. But then like, yeah, it was bizarre. I didn't like the, oh, these antlers are fake. <laughs> Well, again, he just didn't get it. He's just a, like... He's just a... Yeah. Yeah. Poor guy. But um, I think there's just one more thing that I wanted to talk about. This will kind of tie into our next segment. So how people view art and view the making of art as demonstrated through Rocco, Filbert, and Heifer. When we already talked about Wacky Deli, but like... From their perspective and from what they're doing, right? They, like, were talking to um, Rachel and were just like, oh, yeah, this is easy. You could just come up with a new TV show. It's fine. Being an artist and a musician and stuff like that, like, I feel like a lot of times because of the way that we as Americans consume art, it's just like we take it for granted. And when somebody's like, oh, I'm an artist, it's like, oh, cool, you do that as, like, that's cute. That's a or fun hobby. when people, like, ask you, like, when people ask me how my band is doing or about music or whatever, they're like, you know, oh, was that cute? Like, you know, or like, oh, did, did you have a good time? It's it's all with... And they never yeah. 
listen to it. They never look at it. They never do anything. It's like I painted the walls a different color in my apartment is what it feels like. And there's so much more time and effort and energy that goes into it. Yeah. And I thought that they did a really good job of like a lot of those people that say that that sort of way, like they don't do art themselves and they don't realize how much goes into it. No matter what type of art that you're doing, yeah, you know, and especially for a lot of artists who aren't making careers out of it or are attempting to, but it, still having day jobs and all that, the conversation of like, oh well, why don't you just write a good thing and just get famous? Why aren't you doing that? Because I have relatives that say that shit to me, where Same. they're just like, why don't you just like sing a song and like get famous? I'm like, I actually never thought that. That's oh, so smart. Really? Are you, you know what I mean? Uh, it's wow. just like. That's fuck fuck off. Like that really, really just fuck off. Like Well and also like while we're we're doing art, we like you said, we have to have like full time jobs and we have to like practice and write and do all this and like, you know, we have to have time to see friends mm-hmm. and to do our own chores and do that like the amount of work that goes into any creative project is it's like a full time job. So if yeah. you have a couple of bands or whatever, like you have no time. Nope. And I hated that they were successful. In creating this show because I was like, I thought it would have been a better narrative if it had tanked because then it would have shown that like they didn't know what they were doing, Mm -mm. you know, and I think it was counterintuitive to the point that he was trying to make. Right. Yeah. Because he went Murray went through a lot of lengths to show how intense it is to write and to animate like hand drawn animation and all this other stuff. Right. And so to go from there to then oh yeah it's a success their first one like i don't know like that's not how that yeah no 100 percent. i think within the story itself they were trying to argue that like because it was so not polished that it was subversive and therefore it was a take on art but an accidental take and that's why it was successful but i still think that that's not necessarily like i do think it was still diminishing to art in the same way that we were discussing. But for Murray, just painting the picture again of like, it was almost like he's he's just belittling his own work. He's like really good at writing this, but it's almost as if children's television or cartoons are beneath him. At this point, yeah. At this point in this story. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like, why? Why? Why do you think that? And if you think that, if you truly do, why are you in this? Because there's a lot of people who are working really hard to get here. Why don't you fucking leave then? If you don't like this, if you think it's beneath you, why the fuck are you still here? Mm-hmm. Like, go paint your picture of grapes. Go carve your statue. If that's what you consider art, and I'm not trying to say that that's any less than cartoons by any means, because it's art is subjective and nobody's here to critique it in that way, whether it's good or bad, because again, it's subjective. But if you really think that something like cartoons is beneath you, then fucking go. Like, mm-hmm. no one's asking you to be here. You're good at this. It's successful. Don't but, belittle it for people who are here and are good at it and do like it. Like, I mean, there's like, yeah, if you're not having a good time with something that you're doing, you should absolutely get out. Yeah. You should do something. And you don't I have think to be there. Yeah. The, the narrative with this was that he couldn't because he was contractually obligated, which is OK. But like then to go back to Rocco and them. Right. So part of me hates that they were successful right off the bat. But part of me also loves it like thinking about it now because if you want to do something or if you have an idea you should fucking do it try it the only thing that's holding you back from any creative project is yourself Mm -hmm. and maybe time but like i mean you can get creative with scheduling if you need to or whatever Mm -hmm. but like now that i think about it i love that they were successful 
But I still think that Rachel was shit. I did too. <laughs> was a jerk. <laughs> well, let's get up to maybe her redemption yeah. story. Shall yeah. we? Let's do it. In the bustling modern world of 2019, an Australian immigrant named Rocco tries to find his footing in the ever-changing landscape of toxic fandom, modern technology, recognition of identity, and general overall change. Without the help of his friends Philbert, a compulsive aspiring influencer, Heifer, a kind but oblivious bandwagoning steer, and his online shopping addicted dog Spunky, Rocco continues to search for his connection with the past. On a quest to find his place, Rocco seeks out Rachel Bighead, thinking that a dose of nostalgia will be the answer to the difficulties of modern modern life. life. Cool. I'm so excited to get into this. I know. Because this is basically our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's talking about reboots. It's talking about these shows that you would hold dear and reviving them for what purpose other than nostalgic and it brings you back to a time that was easier to digest or what you think is easier to digest even though then it was still and how difficult. that's problematic and how that's problematic yeah yeah oh. and I, I love okay so I love the way that they did that literally with the character that we loved the most I loved everybody's roles in this because oh, so like we said the premise is that Rocco can't deal with change yeah this episode picks up like pretty much exactly where the last episode of Rocco left off, yeah. where they've been in space for 20 years, you know, so it's like real time they've been in space and now they're coming back. And it's it's wild because they Filbert and Heifer just instantly are like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I got the iPhone 10 and I got this. And also like, you know, what up all my followers? Like, hey, like, subscribe. This is what I'm doing. Yep. And uh, Rocco is just like, I don't know about any of this, guys. I think the one thing he participates in is Buzzbucks. Yeah, Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> so because I was going to say that they, those two are so quick to assimilate and like find their footing or find where they belong in this new world. And they try together, right? So they go to BuzzBucks and they get a bunch of coffees and Rocco's like participating. He's there. And then there's like the energy drink car that's like toxic energy drink. And he's kind of like hesitant about that. And then they're going to get the new iPhone or O-Phone or whatever. And the new one comes out and Rocco's like, okay, I don't – what? And then he's like, oh, great, my old comic book shop. They get there and it's not a shop anymore. You order what comic you want and it like laser prints – or mm-hmm. builds the comic book in real time which for is you dope. to purchase, which is crazy cool. But Rocco's like, that's not what I remember. None of this is how I remembered it. None of this is how I left it. And I don't know where I belong here now. And I think it's really important that a few of them were able to assimilate really quickly. And one of them was assimilating, but then was like, oh, no, no, no. This is different. Because it showed that that was a choice. Yes, and that Rocco was actively like when you when you decide to like go against the grain or when you decide, you know, to not move with where the world is going or whatever, like it's a choice, you know. So it's not because he was gone away for like 20 years and then like just could not deal because these two guys were fine. So I thought that that was also really important because we just got done talking about like how great he was with change and how great he was, how yes and and how kind and how all of this. So to make him okay boomer jr yeah was really shocking to me to to bring him in our hero who again was that person to be so resistant now to change and be like i don't i don't know if i like this and i don't know where i belong here and i don't know how to navigate Mm -hmm. you know 
And then that just stumbles right into our quest, right? Where mm-hmm. he still is our hero, but Mr. Big Head's company, he tanked his company, and now they come up with this idea to bring back and do a final episode or a new episode of The Fatheads, which uh, Mr. Big Head's daughter, Rachel, is a creator of. And so Rock was like, let's go find her. Let's go. Let's go do this. Like, yeah, exactly. But he's not doing it to save the company. He's doing it because that's the one thing that he loved so much and remembers from that time. And if he can get that thing back, he'll know exactly where he is in this world. He'll, he will have that sense of familiarity with his placement and his existence. And that's the only thing that's driving him through this narrative because he wants that feeling of, of belonging again. Which is so troubling because the entire like you said the entire reason he goes on this is self-serving yes like i mean the town is like closing up uh like people's houses are getting bulldozed yeah like everybody lost their job all this other stuff and his only care in the world is another tv episode reboot you know yeah is is a a reboot and he doesn't (laughs) like let's talk about this he does he really wants that episode but he doesn't want it to be anything new he wants it to be exactly the same exactly He's like, he's okay, boomer, toxic fandom, all of that just like wrapped up into one fucking being. But I love that they're so on the nose with that exact thing because oftentimes that's how it goes. It's not even like you're ruining this thing that I liked. It's for a lot of people, you're ruining my childhood. Mm -hmm. So to them, this idea of redoing this story or retrying is like, no, Absolutely not. Because that, to me, is my childhood. And if you say that you're doing this, you're taking away my childhood. Mm-hmm. You're saying that what I did and how I existed and where I am in this world doesn't matter. Because people hold that that, that whimsy of nostalgia, that, that the tangibility of a time, a time capsule of, of when things may or may not have been easier, but when they existed in a way where you can articulate and exist in that way forever – it's taking that thing that existed in that forever place and manipulating it and changing it and revising it, which is like revising your own personal history. So it's like erasing a part of you. And I feel like that's what a lot of people think about or feel like when these reboots happen. And that's why people get so frustrated and wrapped up in just the idea of the remake itself, hoping it will fail because if it fails – their history remains intact. They remain intact. Female Ghostbusters. Yes, it's it's exactly that. And and I thought it, it's very interesting that they are making Rocco this person. I loved that. And me I think, too. Me too. I yeah. think that was the best way to combat this because if it was Big Head, whatever. Yeah, he's if already it was bad. <laughs> Heifer, whatever. Like I feel like Rocco is the only one that could have had this narrative, and we still could have been rooting for him. Mm-hmm. You know, in the sense that it's like. It's done really subtly, right? It's like, oh, I just want my show back. Like, so it seems like, you know, Rocco has always been a simple person, right? This has always been like kind of how he is. So yeah. he doesn't mean to be anything big. He doesn't mean to save anybody or the world or whatever. He just, you know, has simple goals and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. So when he, like at the end, once he gets what he wants and all this other stuff, once he actually comes up and like, He's like on top of the thing and he's like, this is not it. This is not what we remember. This, I was like, 
Ooh, Sweetie. that was so weird for me. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was real rough, and I was like, but at the same time, this is this capacity is within any of us. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and so if any of us start to like go down that because nostalgia and memories can be like such a big thing, especially when they help to get through something really big or anything. Like so, when somebody starts to go down that deep end, you know, you just bring them right back. Yeah. Like it. What was wilder for me is. Mr. Big Head at a certain point was the voice of reason to Rocco. <laughs> and I thought that that was just great. That was, yeah, it was a very, it was a good choice. It was also very jarring, especially with Mr. Big Head's transphobic storyline mm-hmm. within this. I was like, oh, of course he's a transphobe. Of course he hates this. Of course he can't believe this. Of course he would say, I don't have a daughter. Of course he would do that because he's Mr. Fucking Big Head. Well, right? and so. yeah, and then the only time that he is able to like accept her is when he sees him in her narrative yes. that she wrote for him. Yep. It is, it's still, at least for me, good to see. At the end, even with somebody who is so abhorrent in this way, to come around and be like, this is still my child. This is my daughter in any capacity, any capacity, because uh, it's just how often do we see full disownment and never a moment of reflection, never a moment of remorse or like, maybe I am wrong. Maybe I should think about things differently. Maybe I should be open to change and open to realities that I'm closed off to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How often do we see that? Whereas like this, even though he fucking sucks and still sucks and is the worst, he still did come around even though Rachel had to coax it out of him with a tear-jerking memory in the guise of a narrative of a show that she wrote, right? Like, yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, I, I really really enjoyed this and i thought that the like like we were talking about some of those choices that they were making on who is the bad guy in this and who has what line or who has what narrative and everything i thought that that was really smart because that made you be like you had to come head to head with the fact that rocco was a bad guy in that moment yep and like that was excellent yeah. you know and you like i mean you always know that mr big head's a, a shit right yeah. but like you said like seeing him come around and like accept his child and also be that voice of reason yeah. you know i thought that that was super super powerful yeah. and i think that like i read a lot of pieces on this when it first came out and a lot of people that were saying that they did this right that there was a lot of care taken into how they portrayed the storyline and all of that And I guess they worked, the writing team worked with the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation for this to make sure that they had, like, that it wasn't, they weren't being jerks to anybody in the trans community or anything like that. And that they were being, like, so they were including people that needed to be included and consulted on a story like this, which made me happy that they took that extra. Took the time, yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think just making Rocco the villain and... To where you don't really see it until the very end was just fucking perfect. It was great, yeah. Because it like this thing gave you everything that you wanted. It gave you the green thing that Spunky was eating. It gave you the nipples of the future. It gave you um, the mops. It gave you like Dr. Hutchinson. It gave you like all these like I I was reading another article and I think it was like sixty two like references to all of these different like I think there was like a reference to like every episode or something yeah. like sprinkled in there, but. The story did not suffer at that expense. No. Which 
I think like the last few movies that we've done, that's been the case. And it was just so refreshing because this is done right. And it was so, I thought this was a really good and interesting story. Yeah, I agree. And also within that, the characters that we have held dear and characters that we like and know since we were children, now having conversations that we're having now that were not being had then, especially with Rachel's storyline, like when she's introduced and she's like, I am Rachel, like I am this person. There was never really a moment where they were like, but I thought this and like, no, I'm, it was a full embrace of just like, oh, well, that's new information full accepting of pronouns, full accepting of existence. Let's make a movie. And she's like, well, I don't think I want to. It's like, why? That's not even relevant anymore. It was a full embracing of this person's existence with, I think somebody said like there was a joke where they were about to drive off and um, somebody said, Roger that. And then I think Philbert's like, I thought your name was Rachel. A a funny play but it's still the punchline of it is still an embracing of the pronouns like oh i thought your name was rachel not i thought your name was whatever her dead name was right right? that's not that her history there is no longer relevant her history now is what's relevant and all of these characters know that and they get it and they're embracing it and accepting it so seeing these characters who we loved when we were children embracing that in such a way is just like this is wonderful this is really cool i also there was a couple jokes that i loved so the pillows culturally ambiguous pillows soft and fluffy. oh my god so good because because you're, <laughs> you're, you're you're in like the desert and then it could be like okay like what's happening here are we going to talk about culture of this, like this place but then it's just like culturally the guys like culturally ambiguous pillows, pillows soft and fluffy <laughs> they're culturally ambiguous and then they don't land in it and they don't land in it so that like that was fun it was just like a fun goofy little like we care about this yeah we care about this enough to know what and when to do it yeah and just to some extent right like obviously we all contain multitudes so like there were mistakes made or could have been mistakes made in that way but at least there is thought and concern again going back to the conversation of just being more thoughtful like consulting the LGBTQ organization and having trans voices there to consult and be like, you know, this works and this doesn't. And here's why. Yeah. Because for for somebody like me, it would be this. And for a trans, for the trans community, we don't use these terms. We use these terms and mm-hmm. we refer to it in this way. Like, yeah, it was thoughtful. They were thoughtful. They spent time thinking about exactly how to tell a story like this. And I love that the only person in this world that had a problem with Rachel's new identity was Mr. Bighead. Yeah. Like, Rocco was not down with change, right? But he was down with that change. Yeah, that and wasn't an issue. the CEO of Conglomo was even like, ooh, cute shoes, whatever. Like, everybody else was 1,000% on board for this to the point to where it was like, oh, chill, whatever. And it wasn't a coming out story. It wasn't like anything like that, right? It was literally just dad has a problem because like he's the one person in the world that sucks and never saw and never saw Rachel for who she was. Yeah. And never approved. Yeah. Right. And because I mean, it's not like two for her. Yes, it's like re coming out to people. Obviously, it's like it is like coming out, even in those small moments of like. Oh, I'm Rachel. That that even just that is is a moment of coming out, especially for her. Yeah. But what is so beautiful is when people make that space safe for mm-hmm. her, where it's not like a well, I thought you were, and I thought it's like that's irrelevant. What's relevant is like, oh, cool, nice to meet you, cute shoes, 
Mm-hmm. Like, this is a sa- it, like you're allowed to to exist here. The, these other characters made these moments safe for her to come out. In these, where she has to do it to so many people, they made it safe and made it feel welcoming. And I think that that's so important. That's what people should be doing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. Like, because it's that's not your information, but if you're gonna have a spot for that information to land, make it a soft, make it a nice spot, make it a comfortable spot for that information to be heard, like uh, culturally ambiguous pillow spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like just the writing in this, like we were saying, like everything is a choice. Yeah, you know, and it really did feel like everything was a choice. Every word, every character interaction, every background character, because, you know, like we said, there were so many callbacks in this that were so subtle. It wasn't like, praise be unto me, I have created a callback here, you know, like some films will do, you know? Like, it's a really big door. (laughs) (laughs) Look at this big door. But like, it wasn't like religious in that way. It was just kind of like, oh, fun, cool. Like, I didn't notice that. Like, it literally served no purpose other than to show that the world that existed in those 52 episodes that they made was still there and every episode mattered or like, you know, and then it was like, it was just, yeah. So I think that they did just such a great job with like, with that writing. I agree. You know, like it felt like the writing happened first Mm -hmm. and then all of the other stuff came about. Yeah. So I really, really, really liked that. Um, I did... Really like their take on the future, on the future media specifically, where mm-hmm. it was like a really, really big man, but he's like dark, blah, blah, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, uh, he's got a backstory that's real sad. He's Batman now. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, they, they took a lot of care into this. And I mean, they still made it as whimsical and as funny and as slightly inappropriate as the show had been previously, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, now, obviously, for Netflix, you can take a little bit more liberties, assuming that it's not going to be for a, an audience of, like, nine-year-olds, right? Whereas on Nickelodeon, that'd be the case. But they still held true to the form of the world, to the, the shape of it, to the to the people, to the inhabitants, to the social life of their characters, their friendships, all that stuff. They, they put so much thought into that. Mm-hmm. And I did, I really did love that uh, Philbert and Heifer were so preoccupied with their hoverboard and their fucking <laughs> VR and their YouTube channel. And it's like, because it's, it's, I feel like they wrote it to assume that like Philbert's now a, a YouTube person or an yeah. influencer of some kind. And then he's like, all four of my followers. And I was like, that's fucking fun. I, I thought that was really great. I was literally <laughs> just about to bring that up yeah. because like, you know, the whole thing, like you could look at this and be like, oh yeah, everybody's too busy, like on their devices to hang out. But like, they're still hanging out the whole time, even when they're taking dumb selfies. They're taking yeah. dumb selfies together. Yeah. Or when they're doing VR or whatever, they're still hanging out doing this stuff. Like, technology and the rise of social media and stuff, like, don't necessarily have to, like, make you stop having, like, physical human interaction, you know? Yeah. Like, it can enhance it, but you just have to, like, actually let it, you know? Because yeah. um, they're making content together, but again, they're together making things together. Like, And I loved that his, like, five followers... Or his family. I thought that oh. was the sweetest thing. I, I got teary when he was like, all right, I uh, hope to meet all five of my followers. And then it's like, 
Uh, they're like, we're right here. It's his kids. And it's his kids and his wife. And I yeah. love the, I love the idea of like, you know, right now there's such a thing of like making media to get to like, I'm going to become viral and I'm going to be the next big thing and everything. But I love that he was just making stuff not to be an influencer, not to be like viral or anything, but literally just like, Hey, I like this. Hey, just I'm going to do fun. this. And it's like, his family uh, is who he's making. Like he's, he doesn't know it's his family, but like he's, just doing it because he wants to and because he's having a good time, not because he wants to, like, I, I thought that that was so, so, I thought it was so lovely because like, you know, everybody's like, oh, likes all this other stuff. And he's just kind of like, he doesn't get down on himself about any of that. And like, to me, that's like, it was really, really good to hear that because and it, it was, was, it was, it was su- such a sweet moment. It was very sweet, yeah. But one of his kids looked like Heifer, and that was a little bit weird. Well, that I was very confused, especially in the series itself, that last episode where, like, the, the episode right before this happens, it's like the tie-in where the rocket goes off, where we're introduced to Filbert's kids, mm-hmm. and it's like two Filberts, a Heifer, and a Rocco? No. It's a little bit weird. Yeah, it's. It, I was just like, what's happening? Like... <laughs> Who and what and okay, like a hundred percent. But like, let's What's talk up? about this. These are What's all Gilbert's kids. Like, and it's also possible like he adopted kids. And I'm like, that's sick. Yeah. I love that. But also like, they look exactly like Heifer and Rocco. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like the same people. Yeah. But that was its own other thing. I also want to get into how self-referential this show, or sorry, the the movie was in its tie into this is a reboot. It's a it's like a story about getting a reboot in a rebooted story. Yeah. It was very meta. It was so meta. And I thought that that was very fun. Because it was just like, they were talking about how they're going to do it. And if they get this, it's big, big, big bucks. And they were saying like, the big whatever. And it's just like, oh, you mean Netflix? And it's like, it's on Netflix. And it's just, it's very, it was cute. It was very cute. I thought that they did. Yeah, it was really good. And I thought that that played really well into like, uh, Rocco's like toxic fanboy narrative. Cause yes. like that, like not only within the context of the show was like really important, but it was also like kind of directly combating like anybody that was going to have any negative things to say about it. Right. Because it's like, you wanted it to be exactly the same. Like, yeah. and I love that when it's like, you know, for the first 10 seconds when Rocco's loving it, there's like nine viewers yeah. on that view counter. And then the second that they introduce the baby and the second that it's different and that it's new and that it's fun. It's a million and a half like, viewers. fucking everybody, yeah. right? And the only person that's hating it are probably those nine people that were watching. Yep. Rocco, when he decides to like pitch this, right? It's everybody wants this. Everybody is going to be clamoring for this blah 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 he doesn't know how to work the internet he doesn't know that there's like he is just assuming everybody else's wants and needs are his own he's so self-centered at that point and like the company is like oh yeah sure cool yeah let's do it not realizing that there's no research right that this is just this one person being loud and obnoxious because he's sad or he feels insecure, yep. right? And so, like, I I loved that it didn't give him the satisfaction. I love that the only time that people started to love it is when it was a little bit new and a little bit different. Yeah, I love that, too. And it's also just, it's it's very funny to play at that, especially with Rocco. If we're going to talk about, like, the idea of, like, keeping things traditional, keeping things as they were, like what we discussed in Tron, that whole idea of like traditionalist values and, and all that stuff. And 
um, this unwillingness and this stubbornness within the change and not acknowledging how you've changed within it. Like he was gone for 20 years and comes back and is like, this has stayed the same. This is still everybody's favorite. That is not a question. It's like, you don't know. And you don't know. Again, yeah. you spent this in the last 15 minutes telling the audience, us, that you have no idea how to exist in this world. So now you're jumping into this idea that this is finite fact true. This is my favorite. It was everybody's favorite. It still is. You cannot tell me that I'm wrong. Yeah. You don't know this world and you've made that very clear. So no. You I love the know point <laughs> where he was like he was talking to Mr. Bighead like early on and he's like saying like he can relate. His life is also crumbling. He can't watch his favorite TV show. Mr. Bighead's like literal life is crumbling because yeah. like they're bulldozing the house while he's in it. He's like, I get it. I can't watch my favorite show. Mm-hmm. It's like very funny online dating but like uh, shut up Flynn <laughs> yeah very, it's very it's very funny and it was again well written in that way where it's conflating this moment where you feel like everything's the worst you're conflating your your trauma or tragedy or what you consider to be that so much bigger than it is it's a show and I'm like and I, I well, again I do think it ties into that idea of like it, you're taking away an identity you're taking away a history you're taking away this if you try to rewrite that story and so people conflate like it's a show but it's not just a show it's like sure but also simmer yeah because yes it is <laughs> and yeah but you're still a person devoid of all of that history that history of pop culture history of your nostalgic feelings towards X, Y, or Z you still exist as a person beyond those so no one's erasing you. <laughs> like, well, and the other thing is, like, I kind of got, like, this, like, he feels like an outsider kind of vibe because, like, you know, he wasn't participating or allowing himself to participate, but not realizing that you can't do anything without being online right now. You pay bills and do your banking online, you know. You see where your friends are at, like, and it's not that friends don't call you. Like, they all have cell phones and they're like, hey, what are you doing? Let's hang out. Or, like, they post on, like, Twitter or something like, hey, anybody want to go get coffee? Yeah. Whatever. Like, that is how you communicate to people without, like, constantly, like, calling them. Be like, hey, do you want to hang out? No? Okay. And, like, having well- to go through, like, ten people or whatever. But, like, so he was making himself an outsider and and he literally did not know that his favorite show was like brought back or anything that like, you know, Rachel actually did it and everything because he didn't have a cell phone and he didn't have the internet. Everybody else in town knew. His friends were trying to get a hold of him and all that stuff. Mr. Big Head even had, oh, and the Whedons of Change had like uh, a, a cell phone, uh, right? Yeah. I want to get into him in a second. But like they couldn't get a hold of him. Because he wasn't connected to the internet or didn't have a phone on him or anything, right? So, like, by doing that, he's limiting himself and his own access to his friends and his family and to information that he actually cares about. Yeah. It's more of that demonization of young people and and, and the boomer mentality of, like, well, you just don't know this and it's like that. It's – okay, I'm going to bring up a couple, like, recent elements in Uh pop culture. And this is going to, like, date the episode, but I don't care because – Time is an illusion. Um, so I was just on Twitter and like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, Bette Midler had posted like this stupid thing. It was that dumb picture of like these girls in a museum looking at their phones. And she's like, what? She said something along the lines of like, what a shame. Like, wow. And it's like, shut up. Like, really? What is, what's your problem with like, it's just demonizing young people for being born into technology and being raised on technology. Like, shut up, Bette Midler. 
Like, who cares? Also, they probably know, like, way more than you do because they actually, like, like they're doing research, like, literally probably right there while they're at the museum. Yeah. She's assuming so much because of her own biases with the generation and, and her own biases against young people. And then there's also the whole uh, Billie Eilish and um, Jimmy Kimmel. Thank you. I'm getting there. So the Jimmy Kimmel show, Billie Eilish was on there. I think it was Jimmy Kimmel. I don't <laughs> Internet, am I right? Uh, he like brought up Van Halen and she didn't know who they were. Oh, I did see that. And he's that. like, oh, wow, I can't believe. And it's just like, shut the fuck up. Like, she's 17 and you're 70. So, yeah, no shit you know who Van Halen is. Do you think she does? Can you? Do you know who Khaled is? Do you know who she is? Do you know who these other artists who have more singles and have topped the charge harder than Van Halen ever did and ever will? Do you know their music? Because... Technically, and aren't hot te- messes when they perform? And technically, they're more famous and more successful than these 50-year-old men. And they're 17. So before you start demonizing these kids for not knowing what your favorite band is, shut the fuck up. Go sit down. Like, it's so boring. It's like, who cares? Like, yeah. sure, they were popular at the time that you were young. These people are young now and you're old. Now you're going to demonize them for being young? Like, that's all it is. It's just this it's demonization it's of young people It's just to make them feel youth. bigger. Yeah, it's to make them feel bigger. And it's just, it's so boring. It's so tiring and toxic. And that's exactly what this is. And which is wild that Rocco is the one who is that figure in this space. That mm-hmm. figure in this moment of like, you don't know what I know. No, we do know what you know. We saw what you did, but we've moved on and we're doing more things and better things. And like that... That whole, like, you don't know this is such a dumbass fucking male power play, especially to a young woman. Like, it's that um, you're terrorizing with the manipulative motive of ignorance is what you're doing. And it's just not cute. It's not funny. It's like, so are you going to spend the next 15 minutes telling me about Van Halen or are you just going to laugh at the fact that I don't know who that is? And, like, so what's 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 the play here? And you're also going to do it on national television. Like... She doesn't give a shit, and that's cool, and I love that. I'm like, I love go that for about it, her. dude. Like, yeah, but just people who knock young, talented people, it's just like, I don't like her because of this. It's like, sure, it's not for you. She doesn't wear clothes for you. Yeah, media is not like, for, not all media is for you. You no. don't need that. You don't need to be a part of this, and you're obviously not a part of this. So shut up. Like, stop. Yeah, and that's that's so true. It's like that was a really gatekeepery move. It's right? so gatekeeper. It's like, hey, do you you're in music? Do you know about this? Like, I mean, fuck the fact that it's a completely different genre. <laughs> fuck the fact that, yeah. like, again, she's seventeen. You know, all this other stuff. Like, I mean, that's such a gatekeepery thing to be like, do you know who this is? I can't believe you know don't know who that is, wow. and then just like wow, wow, make wow, a big wow, fucking wow. deal about that for like this entire like. I know. Twitter went off. It was really funny because <laughs> because there were some people who were just like. I, she's in music and she doesn't know Van Halen and people are like, shut up. Like, really? She, yeah. Sh- go away. How many pop stars can you name? Ugh, yeah. <laughs> How, oh, you're a musician? Name all the chords. Like, <laughs> shut up. She's <laughs> so stupid. I've been playing music for like 15 years and I, I still know. can't name all the chords. It's And it doesn't like, and it's just that, 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 these weird, trivial hoops that people have to jump through to justify their their um their skill like mm-hmm. why do we have to do that the it's skill, like cool you don't like, know about this here let me show you again, rather than yeah. like wow i can't believe you don't know that it's demonizing but, like, ignorance in a way that makes people not want to learn 
It's like, no. Or not what to admit that they don't know. Like, I mean, half the time, like, for a long time until, like, just recently, it was like, if somebody said, like, oh, do you know this? I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. Just so that way I I didn't have to, like, engage at all. Yep. You know? Or you can say, I've heard of them. Yeah, or like I think I've heard of them. Yeah, like uh, oh, I remind me. Yeah, like I I would do like I still sometimes have a problem saying like oh I don't know, like you know because I feel like uh like I'm gonna be looked at as less than and stuff like that. Yeah. You know I I still absolutely have a problem with that. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's something that I'm I am constantly unlearning it, it, to admit when I don't know something mm-hmm. instead of just being like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah. And like, you mean this? Like, Oh yeah, I think so. I think I've heard of that. Like, yeah. You know, and it, well, part of it like, too is like, say you don't know and be yeah. like, tell me about it. Like, I actually have never heard of that. Are they good? Is that a good band? Should I pay attention to them? Yeah. Do you think I would like them? Should I listen to them? Or have you seen this? No. Have you heard of this? No, I don't. What is it about? Like, Tell me in your own words. You seem interested. I'm interested in hearing about it if you're interested. I'm interested in, in you. Tell, like, I'd love for you to share this yeah, with me. Yeah, share this thing with me. And I think that that's way more important instead of like this banal know-it-all bullshit. Trivia bullshit. It's, 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 it's meaningless. And it keeps people afraid of learning. It keeps people afraid of wanting to, lo- to know more because we tie such shame to the idea of being ignorant when we should use it as a learning experience. Like say, yes, I am ignorant to this. Teach me or show me your side of it or show me what's up. Like, yeah, it doesn't need to be a thing that you're demonized for, you know? No. And I think that that also, like, this um, the show was commenting a lot on, like, the internet celebrity and, like, the concept of, like, viral videos yeah. and, like, cancel culture and all this other stuff. Because they were, like, remember Rocco, like, at first was, like, a hero because he's going to get the fatheads to come back up. And then all of a sudden he has single-handedly doomed O-Town when it was actually Mr. Big Head that single-handedly did that to O-Town, but nobody cares because somebody said it and everybody like latched onto it, yeah. whatever. It was so wild how quick they were all turning. And then yeah. even his friends, right? They were just so caught up in the media frenzy that they didn't even realize they were like, yeah, well, oh, shit. I mean, why am I holding this sign? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, you know? it happened so fast that the proliferation of that idea was so immediate it was so rapid that like that's how like the internet is so quick with ideas and with things i mean things come in and out of vogue within hours like Mm -hmm. the the virility of of a a meme or or something like it it happens so fast i mean imagine remember all those moth memes like was that like a week where that was like popular and like like all of these little gonna tell my kids that this was exactly that was like two days two days of popularity or like that flight attendant tweet thing it's like don't you wish it was you bet they're not using a media producer to help save this guy like that dumb thing yeah so all of these like it's but that's just this how sporadic and how quick shit moves on the internet and i think yeah this movie did such a good job at like showing that like mm-hmm. with the heifer sign he's just like yeah this is like why are you holding that oh shit i don't know yeah <laughs> like, oh actually that idea you i don't just, i didn't just think about get that. caught up on all of it yeah, you know 100%. and i i think that that's great that they do that because yeah. like again like with the type of with what they were combating like fucking straight on toxic fandom you know that's mm-hmm. where that lives and that's where that breeds and that's where that gets fostered and all mm-hmm. of that so so i'm glad that they did that and they did that really smart you know 
Same. And I, I loved the character, the winds of change. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like because I thought I thought that was a really good like tongue in cheek kind of way to like point out like I am here and yeah. blah blah blah, you know. And like Rocco not realizing that it's also for him too, you know. I love that his whole thing was like. I don't care what you're going through or what excuses you're going to give me. They stop now. You need to listen. Shit's changed. It's cool. Yeah. Like, you know, he, like, they would try to be like, oh, well, but, and then he's like, no, 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 no. That <laughs> like, does not need- matter. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really liked that. And um, at the end when it was like literally raining change, yeah. I thought that was, that was kind of That was cute. very cute. I didn't notice that. That's that's cute. And like how when everybody participates in like change benefits everybody. Mm-hmm. Like I liked that a lot and I thought that was a great way for that to end. Same. I liked it. So here we are at the end of our first episode with a TV show. We did it. We did do it. All we right. watched a lot of Rocco's Modern Life, which... I am not mad about. I am very happy that I got to revisit the show, and I'm so happy that largely it was severely unproblematic. Largely. Again, obviously, that's not to to say or disregard what we've discussed, but I still think it holds up. I still think it has a lot of really wonderful things in it. I Uh, 100% agree. This has always been one of my favorite shows, and you know, I always get a little bit like... Oh man, I'm going to go back and I'm going to hate it, but I still loved it. Same. And I thought that it really held up. And I think that's what happens when you create media and you're really honest about what you're doing and really um, you have a lot of intent. Like I was reading about how they would write the stories and the way that they did it, it wasn't like, okay, let's write this dialogue and stuff. They like were storyboarding as they did it. So it's like they had the beats that they yeah. wanted to make and then they would like kind of fill in from there That's so cool. like they had a story for each one and they had purpose and intent and then they filled out those other parts with and I the think dialogue that, and everything yeah and I think that that really like you know writing that way rather than how like Rocco and his friends did like okay like we're gonna start here and then you can never get past the beginning point yep. you know mm-hmm. um, I thought that was really really well done I agree yeah okay cool so the TV show. The 90s. Who was it for? Uh, I'm going to be very selfish and just say it was for me and me alone. <laughs> that's it. They made that show for me and that's it. End of list. That's so cute. <laughs> Who uh, do you think it was for? Um, I'm also going to say me cool. because yeah, like, it. I literally like that show dictated how I lived my life mm-hmm. and, and my thought of the world. And like, I was legit terrified to get like a credit card yeah. oh and my shit God. like that because of things that I saw on this show or to be late to work and all that other stuff. But you know what? All that stuff is real. It taught me everything that my parents did not. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it was a, it had a lot of things to say. And was also just overwhelmingly positive in the worst of situations, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. which I definitely needed back yeah. then. So, yeah. We could all benefit from a little bit of uh, a clarity in the midst of chaos. 100%. Yeah. Did we like it? Yeah, I think it's safe to say Fuck yeah, that we, we both did. really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I'm just so, I'm so, so thankful that it held up um, the uh, problematic test of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, I really, I'm, I really love the show. I loved it. I still love it. I still think it's a fantastic show. I need it. I need it. Got it. Like it. Love it. Got to have it. Cool. Um. All right. The Static Cling, mm-hmm. the new one. Yes. Was this new, interesting, or the same? I think it was both new and interesting because of what we were discussing about sort of the role reversal of what our archetypal hero had been with Rocco, flipping that sort of on its head where he now, instead of being selfless, he is selfish. And instead of being the one who embraces change, he's the one most resistant to it. But all the while, we're still on board. Yeah. Because we understand that that's not, that's a part of him 100%. That's not to excuse it. But we're seeing that he contains multitudes, that he contains levels. He is, he's not just a static, to use the title, he's not just a static character, right? Like, yeah. he has a capacity for good and bad, just like we all do. So I think in that way, it was new and interesting, but in a, in a good way, in the same way that the show had been new and interesting for its time. Yeah. yeah. I I also think it was new and interesting. I think it was really progressive in mm-hmm. the way that it was going about things. I think they had the people that they needed to when it came to consulting on the show, which was great. And I loved, again, I loved that it, it, it you don't find out until the end, but like that Rocco really is the one that is the most resistant to change, even when compared to like Mr. Big Head and stuff like yeah. that. And I thought that it was really powerful and... Yeah, this was really, really good. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I so I liked agree. it. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, going out of order, but um, who do you think it was for? Um, I have an answer. You have an answer. You go yeah. for it. I don't have an answer. I think that this was for everybody that's trapped in nostalgia hole, because this specifically calls out toxic fandom, and I think that that's exactly who this is trying to call out and it's trying to do it in like such a gentle way to say like hey it's okay to like to accept new things Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like rather than saying like you're dumb and blah 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 right like rather than just being really attacking it was by making Rocco that character that was resistant to change it made it so much more gentle and so much more like it wasn't really gatekeeper-y about how it did that right Um, it was like hey it's okay to like new things and it's okay to apologize and it's okay to like, you know, so I think that that's who this is for people that are stuck in that hole and don't know how to get out of it. And I think, I honestly think that this was a really important piece of media because there are so many, you know, like we're the generation that grew up with like that were raised by TV, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think the nostalgia is like huge for us. And so that's why there's all these remakes. That's why there's all this stuff. So I, I really think that that's who this was for. This was for, in the same way that this was for me back in the 90s, this was for everybody like that watched that show now. Yeah. And because I am a cis white male, I'm going to co-op that answer and say same. I'm just going to take it right from your mouth and say yes. Oh, that's also mine. No, <laughs> le- but legit though, I couldn't have said it better. That's that is That is exactly who this was for. That was perfect, yeah. I could not agree with you more. I think it's the best way also to convey that information and yeah, just not, and make it safe. Like this whole, this whole 
special was about creating a safe space for everybody. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, it also created a safe space for all of the viewers, regardless of what stance that you had about like remakes and nostalgia and all of that in general. And I thought that that was really clever. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, it was gentle, gentle in a way that wasn't begrudging or, or complicit. It was very just like, nope, this is what it is. Think about it, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Like, here it is. Okay. Like, just shimmy with and, it for a sec. And if you didn't think about it that first time, watch it the second time because Ooh. there's so many of those little nostalgia points, those yeah. little callbacks that you missed. So you'll just watch me again until it just, like, yeah. becomes, you know, subconscious. Yep. Until it just becomes part yeah. of your thought process. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I think it's safe to say we both liked it. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Cool. I feel like I like I like that we're getting into things that are good. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like for those first like four or five episodes, a lot of it was like hard because I feel like it was constantly being like, fuck, is all media trash? And I just didn't realize <laughs> that everything that I've consumed thus far has just been like toxic sludge going into my soul and me being like, this is my worldview now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's nice to know that that is not the case with some of these things. Um. I a thousand percent agree. Between Ghostbusters, The Grinch, and now this, it's like, it's good to know that like good remakes can happen. And it gives me, again, so much more hope for like all these things that I want to see. Like, what are they going to do? I'm so excited. What can they do? Let's do this. I'm so, I'm, I'm here for this, you know? I'm absolutely here for this too. Um, well, anyways, if you have anything to say, any words of wisdom, any suggestions, anything that you just want to talk about, or if you just want to say hi, write into us at nostalgiapodcast.com. Um, and you can find us on all of the things, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Please rate and review us if you are enjoying this, because that gives us visibility for other people. And yes, it's it super does. great. Um, and just write nice things to us. Just tell us how good we are. Just like, ugh, just just praise us. It's we'll gorgeous. write you a compliment in return. I promise. We will. We'll say cool thanks. And <laughs> like love, L U V. Period. <laughs> Nothing else. No, I'm just kidding. But rate and review is super helpful for us in every capacity. Like you said, for visibility, and um, it also just warms our hearts a little and bit. Thank you so much, that everybody like that's us. already done it. Yeah, it's thank been you. Really uh, lovely to go on and see some new stuff. It has been, yeah. We'd like to thank David Tesero for technical support, Danley Barkley for um, editing our podcast, and thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. I love the show. I love this too. This I is love great. doing this. It's so fun. <laughs> no, I legit, I really, I have such a blast doing this and I'm pumped. So thank you for doing this. This I, is fun. I love this too. We have a lot of new stuff coming your way. So um, be on the lookout. Yeah. Okay. Bada boom, boom, boom. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.